You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. People are beginning to wake up to the downside of the tech world. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. We need to find ways to share this wealth so that people aren't suffering on the streets. You're giving your time to help others, and in the process, it helps you as well. The more people who see what happens over in the courthouse and know what's really going on, people would really be horrified. This is KCBS In-Depth. Super Tuesday, the day when more delegates for the Democratic primary are up for grabs than any other. Well, it's fast approaching, and for the first time in a long time, California is going to be a part of it. I'm Keith Benconi. This is KCBS In-Depth, and today on the program, we've gathered together some of our favorite political junkies to discuss the day in politics that's ahead for the Golden State, as well as how the decisions made by California voters will reshape politics for the rest of the country. Now, let's get said political junkies onto the program. First up, welcoming on KCBS political reporter Doug Sovereign. Doug, welcome to the show. Thank you, Keith. Good to be here. Next up, we have KCBS political analyst and San Jose State political science professor emeritus Larry Gersten. Larry, welcome to the program. Nice to be with you all. And last up, we have UC Berkeley professor of political science Jack Citrin. Welcome to you as well. Thank you for having me. So there is an awful lot to talk about today. It's not just California's first time in Super Tuesday. There's also lots of changes to the voting system in several counties that have some people concerned, especially as I've read down in uh, L.A. County. And on top of that, there's a lot of interesting local races to discuss as well. So we're going to get to as much of that as we can. But let's start with what makes Super Tuesday so super, the presidential primary, that is. And as we've mentioned, California is jumping in much earlier than in the past. So, Doug, how big of a change is that early start time going to make for California? Well, it's already made a huge change, and they've tried this before, and it didn't have an impact. But this time it really is, because here we are voting in March instead of in June, right in the middle of the early uh, going in the primary contest. You've got more than 10 percent of the delegates that, uh, that are at stake for the Democrats being awarded by California. And as a result, we have seen the candidates in California campaigning, raising money, holding rallies, depending on who they are, and paying much more attention to California than they would in the past because they need those delegates. Uh, One exception being Joe Biden. We can talk about that a little later, but he hasn't been here that much. But for the most part, we've gotten a lot more attention than we would in the past, which was the goal of, of the Democrats in the legislature when they moved the primary up. All right. So let's turn now to the candidates themselves and the polling about those candidates. I mean, we mentioned that California is going to be a big player in a lot of ways, but in another different kind of way, Doug, it almost seems like sort of a foregone conclusion which way California is going to go. Well, we do expect Bernie Sanders to win California. He has invested the most here. He's got the most extensive operation. He's done incredible outreach outreach with Latinos. Unlike the other candidates who have often come here just to raise money, he has had large public rallies. All the polling suggests that he's going to win California, that he's got, you know, somewhere in the low 30s percent right now. He may do better than that. He exceeded expectations in Nevada. Uh, The other candidates aren't necessarily conceding California, but they're playing more for second. But remember, in California, we give delegates, uh, some statewide and some for each of the 53 congressional districts. If you win at least 15 percent in any given district, you can get some delegates. So we are seeing uh, candidates like Pete Buttigieg uh, go out to the Central Valley, where he thinks he can make a play for more moderate Democratic voters. Um, Candidates going to different parts of the state they wouldn't have in the past, because even if they don't win California, they could win five or six or seven districts and get a nice little uh, pocket of delegates. Is there also, Doug, a 
a bonus to being seen as a strong second in California? Is this something that voters in later primaries are going to care very much about? Or is California not really one of the races that are going to be watched that closely nationally? Well, I think it will be just because we have the lion's share of delegates. I mean, we are the biggest prize uh, on Super Tuesday and throughout the whole process. I do think, you know, candidates always spin results as best they can. So if Elizabeth Warren were to finish a strong second to Bernie Sanders in California, she could argue that she has momentum. She's done well in the debates. Here she comes. And that might move some more people in her direction in other states. Um, if Joe Biden were to do very well in California unexpectedly and maybe finish a stronger second, he could say, here's my momentum. I'm coming back you know, I am the moderate to rally around. So certainly each campaign will take what they can from the result and make the best case they can for their own cause. Um, But I do think, you know, it is likely Bernie Sanders is going to win California. But as I say, in California's case, there are so many delegates that you may get, you know, you, you may not be that strong second, but if you come out of here with 30 or 40 or 50 delegates, that's more than you would win in any of these other states simply by winning that state. Mm. All right. So a lot to look for right there. Let's turn things now to uh, UC Berkeley professor of political science, Jack Citrin. And uh, Professor Citrin, it's pretty remarkable that the top candidate for the Democratic primaries in California at this point is a guy that is historically not that associated with the Democratic Party. So what does that say about Democratic politics in the Golden State? Well, what we've seen, I think, in the last two elections is basically the collapse of the capacity party leaders and sort of what might be termed the establishment to coordinate on a candidate that they believe gives them the best winning chance. So in 2016, Trump, who was barely, uh, barely a Republican, won the nomination because the other 18 or 20 failed to coordinate. And in each primary, he might have gotten just 30 percent of the vote. That was enough to build up uh, a big delegate lead. Uh, I think Sanders is not really a Democrat. He doesn't call himself a Democrat except when he's running for the nomination. And then you get another person who's emerged, which is a Bloomberg, who's also a Democrat for a day. So this is really a function of the changes in the rules that have been going on since 1968, where the idea is that, you know, ordinary voters and often not all even registered Democrats should have a big say in in um, in who the nominee is, and what that ends up doing is advantaging outsiders and maybe more extreme candidates who have a solid block of people who will be with them through thick and thin. So I think that's one of the overall overarching messages of this. I want to build on what Doug said very briefly, if I may. I think he's absolutely correct about the delegate fall, and it may be if Sanders, say, gets 35% of the vote, then no one else will get 15% statewide. And so their only delegate pickups will be, as he said, in districts. Um, having said all that, I, I think just, you know, the trend has been towards Sanders as the polling has gone on. He's gone up. Uh, Biden and Warren have gone down. And that's been interesting as part of the campaign for the reasons Doug articulated. So my own sense is that Sanders is going to do pretty well, not only on Super Tuesday in general. The outcome after Super Tuesday is really quite simple. Are we going to have Sanders as the majority candidate before the convention, or is this thing going to go to the convention? And one final small point about California voting. 
California votes trickle in quite slow. Hmm. And so, you know, by the time we know the final results in California, all the Super Tuesday results will be in. So in terms of momentum, in terms of how California weighs in the momentum game, that may depend on what happens elsewhere and sort of whether the new cycle moves on from California quickly. Right. It's kind of the irony here is that election day has moved up, but the actual election results still will probably lag behind many other states. All right. So we're hearing a little bit there about how this race in California is shaping up, how Bernie Sanders is likely to do. Let's bring in KCBS political analyst Larry Gersten. Larry, what are your views? What are you going to be looking to in terms of the presidential primary Tuesday night? There's no doubt that uh, Sanders is the favorite if you look at all the recent polls, a sizable favorite at that. But I think there are three unknowns that may weigh one way or another on the outcome. One is Michael Bloomberg, who has spent $61 million in California alone, far more than any candidate has spent anywhere, far more than the combination of candidates altogether. He has 23 offices here, just one less than Bernie Sanders. One way or another, he's going to have some impact. We just don't know how much. The second is that independents, who are the second largest group, uh, larger than Republicans, uh, are the ones who are least tethered to any party. That's part of the reasons they're independents. No political party mm. is what they're called. Called, And we, we just don't have a good idea about which way they'll go, especially after the recent debates and whatnot. Uh, uh, will it change anything in, in their minds? And, and the third thing is that people can register now all the way till uh, and up to and including Election Day. Will there be a surge, especially after that last uh, South Carolina debate? Will there be a surge one way or the other? Will it impact uh, the outcome, especially in these districts uh, where so many of the, of the uh, delegates will be awarded? Don't know. Don't know any of these three. So in some ways, there could be some prizes just because of these three uh, elements. Right. And then you have the other element of many voters are voting in early. Obviously, that's been around in California for quite a long time now. But I think that the adoption rate is going up and up and up. So a lot of this late campaigning probably won't make a difference with many Californians already having cast their vote. Perhaps not. Just don't know. I mean, uh, Californians are sometimes very unpredictable. Uh, you add that, by the way, to the fact that uh, several counties, 12 now, have this entirely new voting system where you don't go to your little area uh, you know, your, and drop in your ballot and write down whatever, whatever you have to do, but you drop them off at precinct centers, or voting centers they're called. Mm. How many people are going to be confused by that, particularly non-political party types who, de who decide to use the Democratic ballot? That's a tough problem. So there are so many variables here, uh, many of which we've never had in the state before. Very interesting point. Yeah, it's very, I don't want to say messy, but certainly there is a lot going on and it's uh, making it difficult to know exactly what's going to happen. You actually, uh, Larry, set me up for a good point in terms of all the changes that are coming to California's election system. So let's talk about that right now. But first up, before we get there, I want to remind our listeners that they are listening to KCBS In-Depth, our weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. Today, we're talking California politics as Super Tuesday approaches. Joining us, we have on the line right now, KCBS political reporter Doug Sovereign, as well as KCBS political analyst and San Jose State political science professor emeritus Larry Gersten, and we have UC Berkeley professor of political science Jack Citrin. So 
Let's talk a little bit about those big changes coming to the election system. Many counties throughout California, some have already adopted these changes, but many more are adopting them this year, talking here about the Voters' Choice Act. And essentially what that means, as Larry just mentioned, is that instead of those typical voting precincts that you're assigned to, you have to go to one particular one. Instead, we have a bunch of voting centers, and you can go to any one in the county. And at least in the case of Santa Clara County, they're open not just on Election Day. They're open for a long time before Election Day. So a lot more flexibility there, but it does take a certain amount to make that work. In particular, in Santa Clara County, they had to buy millions of, or excuse me, they leased millions of dollars in new equipment. Uh, And so new equipment going online, new system going online, lots of big changes. I asked Santa Clara County Registrar of Voters, Shannon Boucher, about how confident we should be that the new election system unlike the one in Iowa, it's a bad word right now, Iowa, is going to work. Uh, Here's what she said. Well, we have been preparing for these voting days to come. We have 11 days of voting now out in the community and here in our office. So we have done testing. We have practiced. We have set up vote centers. We've laid out the vote centers and how the operation can run most smoothly at every single one of our over 110 vote centers. From end to end, The entire system and process has been mapped out, and I think it is going to work well for our voters. So you're feeling confident going into Super Tuesday? I am feeling very confident going into Super Tuesday. All right. So, Professor Gersten, you uh, are obviously a close watcher of South Bay politics. Are you confident going into Super Tuesday? Let's put it this way. Um, This area and the state uh, have a long record of promising outcomes in terms of results early in the evening, only for (laughs) us to be disappointed. Sort of of like peanuts with the football. You know, he goes up to kick it. You know what happens, what Lucy does. Charlie Brown falls on his back every time. Exactly. And and so uh, this would be a first, if particularly given these changes, if the state's going to have its act together, that all the votes are, are processed. And by the way, not only do you have a problem with that on election night, but you've got all of these late ballots that come in. And so they, in a close election, can make a difference too, especially especially when you're awarding these delegates in each congressional district. And people have to remember that, in a sense, this is not a statewide election. It's really it's really 53 elections in addition to the statewide delegates awarded. Can I just add one yeah, absolutely. thing here? Yeah, absolutely. See, all of these changes, all of them are predicated on the premise that, you know, the more people voting, the better. Let's make it as easy as possible, and also let's make it easier for the political parties to mine votes, you know, by in, in various ways reducing the cost of voters, uh, you know, to vote. Something that is not really discussed too much is does that increase the overall quality of voting in terms of the kinds of information that people have and in terms of really who's voting, but, you know, that's a secondary sort of more abstract question. So it sounds like you have some concerns that we're just trying to get out the vote without being too thoughtful about what the consequences are, or, or I guess that really the motivation well, I, here... Well, you know, I, I think, I think there, there are lots of questions. I think they're not major questions, but even if you took the question, well, who's really casting the vote? I mean, my own view is that these voter ID laws that are being passed left, right, and center are really some ways voter suppression and not significant, but making absentee ballot easier, making all these other kinds of ways of sending in your ballot easier does raise the question of who's actually casting the ballot. Hmm. 
All right. Well, let's uh, get back to some of the broader questions that are taking place in California over the election cycle and uh, turning things over to Doug Sovereign. Now, one thing that's always changing in California, or at least has been for the last several decades, is the demographics, whether we're talking about people's political party or whether we're talking about the demographics of people living in the state. How is that coming into play in this election cycle? Well, a couple of ways, and I have a point I'd like to add to what Jack said, too. But um, for one thing, obviously, uh, there are many more Latinos than there used to be, and that's why Bernie Sanders has invested so heavily in, in and appealing to them here in California. The Democratic Party is growing, but slowly the Republican Party is is shrinking in California. More and more people in the middle are what we used to call decline to state voters. Now it's no party preference, NPP. They're now, if you counted them as a party, the second largest. They've, they've outpaced Republicans and they're gaining on the Democrats. So um, you're somewhere around, I, last time I looked, I think it was about 43% Democrats and 27% NPP and 24% Republican. Uh, don't hold me to those numbers, but somewhere in that ballpark. <laughs> and um, uh, so you are seeing you know, more California growth from Im- immigration. Uh, and so the, it's a larger minority population, and that's obviously affecting the demographics of, of who votes. And to Jack's point, you know, in states where they have voter ID laws, those are often states controlled by Republicans who want to uh, discourage people who they don't think will vote for them from voting. And in California, which is controlled entirely by Democrats, uh, they're trying to maximize turnout because they think the more people you get to vote, the more likely they'll be Democrats, and that'll help them. So the, the Democratic administrations have made it easier and easier for people to vote. This year, we have same-day registration for the first time. You could walk in and register and vote that day. That was never true before. All of this, you know, ostensibly designed to increase participation, but really, not to be too cynical, it's designed to increase turnout for Democrats uh, because they're the ones making the rules. Yeah, yeah. Mighty convenient, that. Doug, sticking with you for one second, you know, I've seen a couple of uh, headlines in the last couple of days that the Bernie Sanders crowd is not too happy with some of the ways that the state is handling the no party preference vote. There's some concerns that there's going to be an undervote among no party preferences for Bernie Sanders. Help us understand what's the concern there. What 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 are they saying is uh, going to hurt them in the race? Right, and to Larry's point that you know you make these changes and people get confused. You know you have the vote centers now, so a lot of people's neighborhood precincts are gone. There they might show up and think, hey, where do I go vote? Well, another thing is if you do register no party preference, and with so many more people doing that now, there are first time there are people who are voting as NPP for the first time. Um, you can still vote if you're a Democrat. Uh, if you if you're NPP, you can still vote in the Democratic primary if you want to, because the Democratic Party uh, allows its primary to be open. Anyone can vote in it. Republican Party does not allow that in California. You have to be a registered Republican to vote in the Republican primary. But if you're a no party preference voter and you want to vote in the Democratic primary, which is a lot of people and a lot of people who might support Bernie Sanders because he was not traditionally a Democrat and many of his supporters probably aren't either, um, you have to request a Democratic ballot, an NPP Democratic ballot either at the polling place that day or when you get your mail ballot. Not everyone understands that. There were several mailings going out to no party preference voters explaining the process. It's It's been pretty well advertised and clearly marked, but people don't always pay that much attention to what they get in the mail. And if they show up at the polling place, they'll be directed. But that is the concern of the Sanders campaign, that a lot of their people are people who aren't registered as Democrats. And if they don't know that they can vote as Democrats in that primary when they're not really Democrats registered, um, they might not 
be able to vote for him, and that would suppress some of his vote. Uh, the the state says that's an unfounded concern. They've had this huge education campaign, but that is certainly um, the concern on the Sanders campaign, that they want to get every one of their voters actually to be able to cast a ballot. Yeah, well, there's just so many things to get educated about this election cycle. A lot of new stuff, as we've been saying, uh, for voters. I think Professor Gersten wanted to jump in. Well, just one point to build on what Doug said, that the problem is how thorough were these mailings? I, for one, I'm a an NPP uh, person myself, you know, and I never got that note about changing, and I pay attention to those types of things. And I don't know how many people have moved, how many people. There's so many things in transit California to begin with. Right. It'll be interesting to see, just interesting to see how well this actually works. How many people who don't get that letter and decide to vote Democrat just look at their ballot and say, oh, I guess I'm not going to get the chance and don't ask for that ballot. We don't know these things. In some way, there's gonna have to, they're going to have to track it. I think it's, there's a couple of holes here, and that may well be one of them. All right. Yet another thing to watch out for on Tuesday. We are going to get into more state politics in just a second. But first, want to remind our listeners one last time that they are listening to KCBS In-Depth. And today we are having a super show about Super Tuesday and trying to unpack all the politics ahead in California. Helping us do that is, of course, KCBS political reporter Doug Sovereign, as well as KCBS political analyst Larry Gersten and UC Berkeley professor of political science Jack Citrin. Let's move on now to some of the state races and uh, politics that are going on below the presidential level. And when we're talking about state politics, well, the only statewide proposition on the ballot this time round is Proposition 13. And it's not that Proposition 13. It's a completely different Proposition 13. In this case, we are talking about a $15 billion bond measure to fund public schools. It's going to be money that's going to go through to K-12 through schools, as well as uh, some public universities. So big pot of money up for grabs right there. Doug, where is this coming from and why is this happening right now? Yeah, and you know, there's some confusion here because Prop 13 means something very specific to Californians and it has for more than a generation. I really think they should retire numbers with propositions <laughs> and that would be my first nominee. Uh, this is not that Prop 13, this is a new Prop 13 and it is uh, a bond measure. Uh, and um, of course the the tax advocates like the Howard Jarvis people who opposed who, who pushed Prop 13 in the first place oppose this one because they will argue that your, your taxes will go up or you're going to have to carry this bond service for, for years to come. Uh, on the other side, you have the people who say, no, we need the money. Uh, our schools need the money. We, we've, we've got to generate the, this bond income. But you know, this is a common thing in California. There's, there's a parcel tax in, in my county, in my city, there, there's a sales tax in my county. Um, this is what happens now. They go, come back to the voters and ask for more and more money all the time. And people do tend to vote for them because they're usually for things like schools that people support uh, without really giving long-term consideration to the impact of that. And that's what the supporters of this one certainly are counting on. Yeah, Professor Gersten, what do you see there in terms of voters' appetite for more statewide spending? You know, all this takes is the majority vote. And people are so partial to, to supporting education, as Doug yeah. said. And education is so poorly funded in yeah. California, very low, uh, that, that it, will, it has a good chance of passing. There is some pushback, though, not just from uh, taxpayer groups like Howard Jarvis, but some folks, in including some editorials, who have spoken out against this because they say this is a gift in some respects to builders and developers uh, because they'll get a huge tax break, a windfall that comes out of this when they go ahead and take on the job. So, so you know, then people have to decide, well, is it worth it anyway for me to do this, even though there's some sort of hidden and benefits to, to these various groups, or do I say I'll pass to the next time? And I think it's there's some discussion about that. How you know, many people? I, know, I don't say, know. 
going back Professor to Citrin, the strategy yes. behind all of these maneuvers, you put it on the ballot in an election where there's no nothing to interest Republicans at all, right? So right. Republican turnout, which is the more conservative anti-tax turnout, is sort of suppressed to begin yes. with by the context. All right. So as we can see right there, a lot of big questions going before voters and a lot of big questions about the voting itself. Before we sign off, we only have a couple of minutes left, but before we sign off, uh, I was hoping that I could go to each one of you in turn and find out what you are going to be watching most closely Tuesday night, whether it's one of the topics we've been talking about today in terms of trends that are unfolding in California or perhaps uh, a trend in the presidential race itself. What is going to get the lion's share of your attention Tuesday night? Uh, Doug, what about you? Well, I tend to be a big picture kind of guy, and we've been focusing on, I've been covering the presidential race a lot, so that's really where my focus is going to be. Um, We don't know, we won't know on election night really how many delegates everyone comes away with, uh, because two-thirds of the delegates are being awarded by congressional district, and as we've heard, it can take a month to count all those votes, and you know, you have to get to 15%, someone could be just below the threshold, so it'll be hard to say that night, Bernie got this many, Warren got this many. We'll know the statewide number. Uh, Sanders may end up being the only one to get statewide delegates. We'll see. But I'll be looking very closely at those specific congressional districts and did their efforts, you know, did Pete Buttigieg's efforts in the Central Valley pay off? Did he win some districts there? Did Amy Klobuchar score anywhere? Did Joe Biden do better than expected, even though his campaign has been almost invisible in California? Uh, Or is it just a clean sweep for Bernie Sanders? All right. And Professor Gersten, what are you going to be looking for? I, I am so taken uh, by the Bloomberg experiment. Uh, over $500 million has been spent by Bloomberg. These, these, these figures blow us all away. What can a uh, billion dollars buy you in American politics? Apparently not much in some cases. <laughs> uh, uh, $61 million in California, uh, two, 23 offices, uh, 200 people working for him. Uh, uh, and yet you know, we, we haven't seen him much at all. And, and it's really a, a campaign process between that and social media that, that he's counting on to carry the day. What will happen out of this? This is going to change campaigning uh, in so many ways, money-wise, social media-wise in the future. I don't know, but I'm sure going to be watching with great interest. All right. Another little experiment that's going to be unfolding there as well. Professor Citrin, what about you? What will you be watching for? Well, I think what Doug and Larry said are right on target. Really important questions. I just want to watch one thing. At the end of Super Tuesday, what would be your bet on whether or not Sanders will actually be able to get a a majority before the convention? Because as I said earlier, to me, that's the one really remaining question in this nomination process as we move towards the convention. And I think that'll depend somewhat on, you know, if Joe Biden wins Texas, Virginia, North Carolina on Tuesday, which is possible— He's a, he can make the case that he's the viable moderate alternative, and then we'll have to see what happens from there. If right. not— and I, I would agree with that totally. That's really right on target. And if right. not, then yes, it's hard to imagine anyone overtaking Sanders. All right. So a lot of big questions we just laid out there. Hopefully that gives our listeners some food for thought as they enter Super Tuesday right along with us. We're going to close out the program right there and sign off with our guests. Those, once again, were KCBS political reporter Doug Sovereign. Thank you, Doug. Thank you. Also had KCBS political analyst and San Jose State political science professor emeritus Larry Gersten. Thank you as well. I enjoyed it. Thank you. And we also had last up UC Berkeley professor of political science, Jack Citrin. Jack Citrin, great to have you. Thank you so much. I learned a lot from listening to my colleagues. (laughs) I think we all did. Thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Menconi. See you next time. 
You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS.